Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 4. Poirier versus Hooker. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined in studio by Cody Safta. Coming off the heels of the uh, Max Roscoff. Um, I mean, I may have been a truther. Actually, I was probably like leading... Leading the charge. You weren't on, on the bandwagon, Paul. You I was driving. The you were driving I the bandwagon. I was driving the bandwagon. And uh, I don't think most people probably missed it on Twitter, but I self-imposed a shoey on myself because, I mean, people came through. I got them the, the, the Jim Miller. I had 10 to 1. Some people had like 8, 7, whatever to 1. That helped to uh, mitigate some of the pain that happened. The max pain. Max pain. As some would say. Um, what did but we yeah, learn so I was I, as soon as get a lesson. He quit. Yeah, that, but he there's quit. a good lesson to be learned. My whole th- my whole thought about the whole process was this guy's a, a two-time All-American national champion or uh, All-American wrestler. Yeah. Those guys don't quit. Those guys don't have cardio issues. None of it carried through. I projected a little bit too much. So on Twitter, I told myself I I, I replied to a tweet of a fan and you, and I said, nah, this ain't right. Somebody's got to do a shoey today. So, I didn't have very much around here. Um, and this one's for, uh, for Terry and Diener, for our Canadian fans here. They, they'll understand what's up with that. It's a grime boot, dude. Uh, we, got, we, got, we got a good old-fashioned Canadian Pilsner. Um, and then we got, like, this is my winter boot. It's been here for months now. Um, I can confirm the longevity of this boot in the It's office. been here. Here. Have a look at the boot. It's nasty. It's I got nasty. off lucky with my cowboy. It's nasty. Okay, it's you. I was yeah, shaking. I was shaking okay. dirt out of it before we got started. <laughs> you probably can't see it from this close, but there's like, there's like a slight color on the metal from the salt that has just eaten it away. The, the these little, things the have seen a boot. good like five Canadian winters. Trust me, they've seen some shit. So, but about, unlike, they, but they, unlike they never Max, actually, Paul Shaughnessy ain't gonna quit. They've on never this. seen a thing. Of, I haven't been drinking very much during this. Is this, this could be very bad. Um. Let's get after it. You can carry on the conversation. If you want. Yeah. So the play-by-play is—it's so uh, so an old-style pilsner, pretty, pretty decent beer. I would say would go down fairly smooth. What I noticed when I did the shoey is that it won't leak through. Like you don't got to worry about losing any. It's when you start to physically pour it, it'll generate a lot of foam. Like mine generated a lot of foam. Yeah, I see a lot of foam here. Yeah. Right. So that becomes the problem. I, I think the, the shit, all the dirt and stuff is like. Piling up here. Oh my god. Okay, so then there's your saving grace. The beer tasted exactly the same. It didn't. It might be a mind over matter thing, but as far as like your palate goes, the beer's a beer. Well, we over the lips and past the gums. Look at stomach. Here it comes. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> Paul's getting after it. He always gets some spillage too. Should have got his little Anderson Silva to. Holy fuck, man! He did way better than I did. Yeah, yeah, there you go, Paul. First fight on the card, Dustin Poirier taking on Dan Hooker. Dustin Poirier, minus 220 favorite. Dan Hooker can be had for plus 180. I'm going to, like, recollect myself here. Why don't you take it away? Yeah, I got to go with uh, Dustin Poirier to get the victory over this one. Almost in a lot of senses, it feels like it might be a similar matchup for Dustin Poirier as it was versus him versus Max Holloway. For the record, sorry. For the record, for the record, some people usually put it on their head for the record, to be like, just so you know. There's, just a, little, so you there's know. a little bit, but that's just like from it's. There's a lot of padding in there. 
Well, it's a winter boot, man. I would assume it had a lot of padding. I'm impressed, right. man. I'm impressed. You know why? Because I can pound a beer. It wasn't like you just paced yourself. No. You went out there like Justin Jane's on that bitch. I was just like, I'm just gonna go for it as quick as humanly possible and get it done. And you got it done. Yeah. So I'm impressed with that. Thank I think you. that uh, Dustin Poirier doesn't have to just go out there and get it done as quick as humanly possible. His fight with Max Holloway he shows over a five-round period of time, 176 significant strikes landed. A lot of significant, not only just the word significant, massive blows. He had a sharp boxing advantage in that fight. And the problem with Max Holloway is even though he's a volume puncher, he doesn't have that stinging power. Without that stinging power, you're not going to keep Poirier off you. Those are the two ways to beat Poirier. You either have to have crippling ground game, Solid wrestling, like a Khabib, keep on this guy and just keep peeling him to the ground and break him that way. Or you have to have massive power, keep him off of you. If you're not going to sting him at no point or take him down, he's going to advance on you. It'll be a fun fight, but at some point his punches are just going to be the heavier punches. And he doesn't mind landing as many. When you look at him versus Dan Hooker, it's not even like guy on his way up, Dan Hooker's on a roll, prospect versus old dog, former tall challenger, maybe he's not committed anymore. Dustin Poirier is 31 years old. Dan Hooker's 30 years old. Mm -hmm. Dustin Poirier turned pro in 2009. Dan Hooker, 2009. But when you look at Dan Hooker's record, it's a lot of fighting Jim Millers and James Vicks and Mark Dia Casey's, whereas Dustin Poirier has literally fought nothing but title contenders, former champions, current champions, his last five fights. So I feel like it is a bit of a different class. I feel like over the course of five rounds, it should play out towards Poirier. I feel like even though Hooker brings it, and he, he brings a lot of excitement, and he will try to bring a pace out there, Max tried the same thing. I feel like Poirier's technical boxing will be the advantage. If you needed to take the fight to the ground, get the fight to the ground. And also, you look at all the pictures of ATT of him training right now, there's no there's no six feet of, of distance COVID training at ATT. Like, these guys are hard in camp. There's three guys on the on the card. Masvidal, seemingly, even though he's talking about, I'm retiring because I want the money, he's mad in camp as well. Like, these guys are ready. I think Poirier's going to give a great version of himself. I think he takes care of business. And I think that 220 is pretty par for the course. He, he is that big of a favorite. He should be. The only one question you have with him is coming off a title defeat to Khabib, not realizing your was dream that of a like title the fight. End of the run yeah, or was that like, like jumping that? the shark? Like yeah. shit. But but again, only 31 years old. Yeah. It looks like he's taking training seriously, which means he's still motivated. And there's more paydays to go through. I need to I can secure that fight with Conor McGregor. But what I gotta do in the meantime is go out, have these entertaining fights. And it's not just I'm basing it on that one fight with Max Holloway. You look at the fights with Eddie Alvarez. You look at the you look at fights where it's like, oh, dude, it's turning into a dog fight. And he goes out there and he performs. He's, he's going to land 140 significant strikes. That's massive. Whereas Dan Hooker, the best he's doing, maybe 110. Maybe he can try to keep pace with you. But like the Barbosa fight, he can only keep pace with you long enough that if he's not stinging you, it wasn't stinging Barbosa, eventually you lose his respect. You start to tee off on him a little yeah. bit more. And, I, and I, think, I, I think that'll be the key. I mean, yeah, the thing with Hooker is his path to victory is the knockout. And I think D Dustin Poirier at 155 pounds has proven that his chin issues was definitely something of him just cutting too much weight to get to 145, getting knocked out by Connor, and and he got stumbled a whole bunch in other fights and whatnot. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think Poirier comes from uh, well, the, the both both come from great camps. Hooker doesn't actually spend all that much time. He has he runs his own gym, right? Yeah. So like he spends some time with Izzy and, and Volkanovski, but like he runs his own gym. It seems for most of his stuff. I think he does some sparring and stuff with them. Um, yeah, I think Poirier is obviously yeah better all the way around. Maybe coming in a little bit more seasoned, ready ready to go. 
And, and yeah, I've already added them to a parlay uh, this week. So Right, and I, and I would say the last thing to factor in there is that small cage definitely benefits Dustin Poirier because Hooker likes to stay on the outside, and he likes to move a lot. So there is a path to him where just stay on the outside, jab this guy, try to matador him. He, he loves a good fight, though, and he loves stepping in there and, and just you know getting into a dog scrap. So I don't think he's just going to stay on the outside. But now that it's a smaller cage, and we will talk about this when we get down to Tanner Bowser versus Felipe Linz, it's going to affect that movement from the outside. And if you're forced to now stay with Poirier, as we just broke down, I think he's going to get better exchanges over the course of five. Sign me up. I haven't been drinking all that much over co- or over the uh, the pandemic a tall boy, here, and it took you 15 seconds. So I bet you you're uh, at least some type of buzz. I I don't know if it was the best idea to drink it before the show or right at the top of the show. I'll tell you that. Also, much. you didn't sleep last night, and you probably haven't. I slept eaten last night for a few hours. I got like four or five hours. Okay, yeah. That's so a, yeah, that's all these things, all these things compound. Did you eat today? No, I haven't. Oh, Paul. Yeah, I know. I'm, okay. It's going to, well. Talk about bad choices. Let's only talk about one Mike beer. Perry. Thank God I don't have like two or three. Yeah, we have Mike Perry. Yeah, talking about bad choices. The cornerless Mike Perry. He will not have a corner for the upcoming fight by choice. Technically. I will. mean, he probably wasn't listening to anybody anyway. I've had some people say, you think that's going to be an issue? I don't think he was really listening to his corner. He's just going out and doing what he wanted to do anyway. He's minus 310. Mickey Gall is plus 255. I've got Perry. Um, the problem with Gall, Gall does have a path to victory here. It's secure the takedown, get it down. He's got very good jiu-jitsu. He doesn't have good wrestling. And, I mean, I just paid the price recently with, with uh, Chase Hooper on the exact same type of situation. If you don't have the actual wrestling, then you're trying to cling on to people, grab them, pull them down. Like, it's a lot harder. If Mickey Gall can grab a hold early on, get this fight to the mat, or at least, like, grab, jump to his back and drag him down to the ground, that type of thing, I don't see him shooting a double to take down Mike Perry. Um, that's how he wins this fight. But otherwise, if he can't get the fight to the ground, he's going to get tagged. He's going to get tagged bad. Be competitive on the feet. Perry doesn't need a corner to knock out Mickey Gall. And I think that's exactly what he'll do. Whether it's the first or second round, I think it happens eventually. What about you? Yeah, yeah. You know what? I think what it comes down to is that in this kind of crazy times and shortened camp, what Perry's doing might not affect him that much. Because you can't deny, for all the faults that this guy has, and he's got a lot of false ball. You can't deny this guy's a fighter. And he'll go out there and he'll give 100% effort. It doesn't matter if there's one person there or a million people there. It doesn't matter about all those variables. He's going to step in there and he's going to scrap. He'll give you that best effort. What we're seeing a lot of these guys coming on a short notice, not that Perry's a short notice guy, is that a lot of these guys coming on a short notice, they're just, they're just going out there and they're fighting. Maybe like we talked about, some of these old veterans, some of these savvy veterans. Perry's not an old guy by, by any means, but... And he's a 21-fight veteran. He has multiple fights in the UFC. Uh, he's just got a lot more experience than Mickey Gall, who's still only 6-2. and two. It's still developing. Also, when you look at it's not even just like a number of fights. Is that physically speaking, right? Mike Perry's record includes smoking out old savvy veterans like Jake Ellenberger, fighting guys like Alan Joban, but Santiago Ponzinibbio, top 10 contender, right? Max Griffin was a tricky guy. Donald Cerrone, Paul Felder, Alex Cowboy Oliveira, Vincente Luque, Jeff Neal, they're all fucking contenders, Paul. All of these guys, whether they're going to be world champions, which they're not going to be, maybe Jeff Neal, who knows? Uh, yeah, probably not. All of these guys are top five, top ten guys. Whereas, like, Mickey Gall is not fighting he anywhere. No, he's CM fighting Mike Jackson. Ron, Ron Templeton, Mike Jackson, CM Punk, Sage Northcutt, lost to Randy Brown, George Sullivan, Salim Tuari. So let's let's reiterate. 
Ron Templeton wasn't in the UFC. Mike Jackson cut. Right? Well, he's not officially cut, I don't think. I but mean, well, all, he was never... Right, CM Punk, CM Punk. I don't even know why he was there in the Mike first Jackson. place. Mike Jackson's a reporter. Sage Northcutt. <laughs> he's Sage Northcutt has since... Yeah. Yeah, zero. Nilch. Not a. I think he's like, what? Seven time champion or yeah, something? That's true. A big win. That is a big win. However, because they didn't go over the belt backstage beforehand, CM Punk just had no idea what to expect. <laughs> totally. Son of a bitch shot on him. Totally wasn't expecting it. The Chicago <laughs> screw job. <laughs> so, so Mike Jackson, CM Punk, Stage Northcutt no longer with the organization. George Sullivan no longer with the organization. Slim Tuari, again, should have never been with the organization. Diego Sanchez, that rough shot to bits. And we were on Sanchez. We cashed him as a good dog. This guy had enough to beat Mickey Gall. So all signs point to Mickey Gall wouldn't be a top 20 contender, a top 25 contender, let alone somebody in Mike Perry who mm. lost a split to Vincente Luque. A lot of, most people thought he won that fight. Yeah, Perry, Perry, guy, Perry guy gets is it done against Sanchez as well. He knocks, he would <laughs> right. knock out Sanchez. Now listen, I would love to fade Perry because all the signs are there. Like not only does he yeah. leave, not only does he leave Greg Jackson's to go back to Fusion X, then he leaves there and training himself. And his girlfriend's going to corner him. And it's it's all the recipe for disaster. And the guy on, on social media looks like he's doing God knows what. He suffered a big gash on his face a couple days ago. These things happen. Right. Wow. Well, he has a big but gash comes, on his face from a couple days ago? Yeah, he's got a cut on his forehead. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Dude, I'm telling this you. This fight isn't even going to happen. It's like a dirt biking accident or something oh, stupid. Oh, an idiot. Oh, yeah. And, and he's got, like, the dumb and dumber haircut. And I can't talk. Got a hat on all the time. Quarantine haircut. Oof. Quarantine hair I mean, going on. Look at your talk. You're preaching to the choir here, kid. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go Joe Exotic at the back. You see this? You get a good shot of that. Jesus. Fucking rights. It's coming. You should be drinking the pilsners. Yeah, no. The rest is. I'm gonna have a skullet because the rest will just. Lo- I'll lose that. But that back, eh? Fucking luscious. Anyways, jumping back to what we have here is that yeah. Ultimately, none of that shit's gonna matter when the cage door closes and he goes out there and he fights. And then the one thing about Mike Perry is that he's got a, like a mad underrated ground game. Like he he's hard to take down when he is on the ground. Hard to submit. He, even between fights, he has that Ally Quinta submission underground fight. He beat uh, Ally Quinta on escape time and submission underground. He like shows like, dude, this guy knows what he's doing. He's competent. He's got skills everywhere. He's just a dumbass. And unfortunately, he, he, he's still more than enough to go out and defeat Mickey mm-hmm. Gall. Now, Gall had spent a lot of time with Joe Schilling. His striking is improved. He looked eye with striking exchanges the first two minutes of the Diego Sanchez fight, but then he fell apart. I expect the same thing here. I th- expect his striking to look all right. Maybe the first two or three minutes. After that, he's going to just be trying to tie him up and slow him down. You think first round knockout? I'm not so sure. I, I have a feeling this could be like a over one and a half, but eventually just golf. I said first or second. I'm not. Right, I right. said I'm. And it could I said go to the first distance. or second. Don't put words in my it's mouth. Distance. Hey, I've second. had a drink now, so now I'm gonna now I'm gonna stand up for myself. Uh, yeah, no, I said <laughs> fuck you. Perry in either round one or two. I don't feel yeah. this is not a Jim Miller bet type of thing. I don't want people going out and betting. Perry yeah, round yeah. one because I said it because I bet yeah, you Perry yeah. round one is probably like minus one fifty. No, so. I don't. Think I, don't so. I haven't even looked at. Gall's it, getting I bet out you of the it's first. Pretty round. close. He's losing, but he's getting out of the first. Fair. He might mess, lost a dis- decision, but he's, maybe he, I think he loses. Okay, we got Brennan uh, Brennan Allen taking on Kyle Dawkins. Brennan Allen minus three hundred favorite Dawkins plus two fifty. Two guys that rely on their grappling. Brennan Allen, pretty impressive last time out against uh, against Tom Breeze. Went in there, did the job, got the takedown. 
absolutely mollywopped him. Did exactly what he had to do. Uh, Dawkins was on uh, Contender Series. He's a really, really long grappler. Grappling Huge. looks pretty good, to be perfectly honest, but no wrestling. Uh, or at least the wrestling is a work in progress. The striking is a big-time work in progress. The line makes sense to me because I guess Brendan Allen probably has the advantage in wrestling and and the striking department. Um, so I get it. Uh, minus 300. Do you think this is going to end up being like a... Like a stand, like a sloppy stand-up fight because both guys struggle to take the other down. Or you think Brandon Allen just has a severe grappling advantage here? I think Brandon Allen has a severe grappling advantage okay. over him. I think he takes him down pretty much when he wants to. When he does get him down, it, uh, listen, Dawkins is not terrible off his back. He's got a good grappling like credentials as well. But yeah, no, I, I'm sold on Allen. Dawkins is kind of like a fake prospect at 27 years old. You know, out of Philadelphia, decent camp. He seems like, oh, geez, six foot three for the weight class. As you mentioned on the contender series, he's got like a, a massive amount of size. But like looking through his entire body, we're kind of half fraudulent. I just want to go through. I know we don't want to spend too much time on these kind of matchups. But just as an amateur, Paul, he's five and five as an amateur. What's super noteworthy here is that he spends five years as an amateur. He fought as an amateur for five fucking years and fought 10 times for free. Like who does that? <laughs> the flip side to that, Brandon. I mean, we worked at uh, at my former employer, your current employer, for almost a year and a bit. No yeah. money. Are, are you saying this guy is Robin Black? <laughs> <laughs> Bink. <clears throat> he fought as an amateur for five years. Now, now, this is super notable, right? You go back to let's say this fight versus Derek Bradley. This is 2012. He weighs in at 251 pounds. Mm-hmm. Right. He's 20 years old, so he's a heavyweight. He goes five and five as an amateur after 10 fights over a five-year span, and then now manages to drop down to 185. When you look at his losses as an amateur, okay? Guillotine choke, third round. Triangle choke, 48 seconds. Key lock, minute and a half. James Williams knocked him out in 48 seconds. And Paul Sims. who that is. And some guy submitted him in in 43 seconds, right? So what we talk now about, like, oh, dude, he's a grappler. It's just like, I think he's someone that was so bad at grappling back in the day that he spent a lot of time on that. But he fights amateur from 2012 all the way to 2016. So it's like, or 2017, sorry. That's like a big span of time. When you you look at a a prospect, a real prospect in Brandon Allen, Brandon Allen started fighting amateur at 19, Mm -hmm. right? He won four fights in one single year and then turned pro. And then since he's turned pro, he's fought for LFA, he's fought main events. He's gone five rounds yeah. four times in his career. Anyways, but just to get back to Delkis, <clears throat> the thing with him is that you look at his, his, these are his four most impressive wins, okay? He beats Jonathan Webb. Jonathan Webb's a UFC veteran. He was 0-2 in the UFC. Jonathan Webb fought at 155 pounds, okay? So fighting this guy, Delkis, who's six foot three and fights at 185, is bad news. But Jonathan Webb manages to take him down in the first round. He manages to take him down in the second round. In the third round, he's had too much. He gets choked out right at the third round. He gets submitted. Okay. Mm-hmm. Michael Lombardo. Michael Lombardo fought him at 185 pounds. Michael Lombardo's very next fight, after losing on Contender Series to Doukas, his very next fight is at 175, right? Now he fights at 170. Never middleweight. Stands six feet tall. Steven Ragman. Steven Ragman's fought at 162 pounds for the majority of his fucking career. Only fought twice at middleweight in his entire career. One of them is when he lost to Doukas. And Nolan Norwood. Nolan Norwood is the same thing. Used to fight at 155 pounds back in the day. But took a fight against this guy and lost. Six foot three. So, geez, that's, that's why he's looking good. He's fighting guys half the size that are just not the skill level. Brendan Allen's last two fights, Tom Breeze and Kevin Holland, both six foot three. Prior to that, Aaron Jeffries, six foot one. Moses Marietta, or sorry, Jeffries, six two. Moses Marietta, six one. He's got that height, no problem. But it's the fact that those guys like Jonathan Webb are mm-hmm. taking down uh, 
uh, or taking down Doukas. Steven Ragman, boxer, takes down Doukas. When a real guy with real wrestling, real grappling credentials takes down Doukas, that's when you should see the skill discrepancy. Yep. Three, three to one, man. That's a big. That's a big line. But but that's because they taped it. They taped it before I did, and and he's he's got a lot of like, advantages. Here. If the advantage is like if the ground advantage is is there, then the 100 percent makes sense. If he's not, I mean, the wrestling looks good enough. He was able to take down Tom Breeze. Yeah, it's just when they start scrambling around on the ground, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Anyway. Anything else to say about that? No, one? that's it. He's 24. He's getting better. Brandon Allen, 3-1. to one. I, got I got Pat. some Mike Perry first and second round odds. First round for Perry to finish is plus 175. Second round, plus 400. Yeah. I don't yeah. like those props. I like when I play these types of props, like these round, like I'm looking for like eight to one. I'm looking for the June, uh, the Julian, uh, what was it? The Cuban Missile Crisis. Julian Marquez. Marquez. 14 to one. First submission of his career against Darren Stewart. Only Why? Because Darren career. Stewart taps. Yeah. Those are the types of plays I'm looking for. General trends that happen within that fight, big odds. You, otherwise, I just like playing things straight. Yeah, I find it historically, Pat. Um, I just get in trouble when I play like those shorter odds, like first round type of thing. Unless it's like a Abdul Razak Al Hassan who is coming back and was not charged guilt. I uh, was uh, uh, innocent of all crimes, so alleged crimes. So he's coming back. I think they've got him lined up against some can. Like there An is alleged where, can. There is where we play round one. Right, right. Uh, I don't even know who he's playing or fighting. And during these times, I mean, who knows if anybody's fighting. On any given day. We got Maurice Green, the Crochet King, taking on Jean Volante. Jean Volante coming up to heavyweight, taking on Green, who's like six foot seven, gonna have a lot of size, reach, length, everything like that. Probably power advantage, you would almost think as well, even though Maurice Green is not known as a heavyweight with power. Green is minus 125, or sorry, he's minus 225. Volante plus 185. Um, I'm not really in the business of laying minus 225 on Maurice Green, but I may end up being in the business of laying minus 225 on Maurice Green in this fight. Jean Volante didn't really have a have a, much of a chin at light heavyweight, and I never I never really got the sense that like he was killing himself to get down to that weight class. So moving up, I don't know if it's going to really change all that much. Like maybe he'll be able to take a little bit more of a pounding. Um, yeah, I got Maurice Green here. What about you? Yeah, listen, I got Maurice Green, but I think this is a pass. Mm-hmm. And I think that because it's 185 Jean Volante, maybe like the slightest, smallest little sprinkle of Volante because it's 185. Maurice, Maurice Green, he's just six foot seven with an 80 inch reach. Like that's it. He's got that those physical imposing gifts, but there's not a whole lot to back it up. And yeah, he'll throw up a triangle off his back, but as far I just mean as far as the striking goes, he jabs from the outside. He likes to kick, kind of like that that Greg Jackson. Like, knee kick almost creates a distance. He likes the push kick, and then he'll try to zing you with that right hand. But for a guy that's that big, 265 pounds, uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of power. Listen, he's a former Glory kickboxer. But, again, that's just it sounds more impressive than it is. He was 1-3 with Glory. Um, he was known for just guys would hit him twice as much as he would hit them. He got dropped five times during his short little run with the Glory promotion. And then all of a sudden he finds himself on the Ultimate Fighter. Now he's in the UFC. And, and the biggest thing here is that when you watch him, because he's so physically imposing, guys don't, they don't march forward at him. They allow him to just kind of dictate the action. They stay on the outside and he's just 
chipping away at them, chipping away at them. He's not looking good, man. So let's start with the Jeff Hughes fight, right? Mm-hmm. Jeff Hughes is six foot two, right? Has a 77 inch reach, I think. As far as height and size go, he's the same size as John Vellante. John Vellante is also six two or six yep. three, right? Has a very comparable reach. Um, I, I don't think that it's that John Vellante is going to weigh in probably here about 240, I would imagine. And let's at least just use that Jeff Hughes fight as a barometer test, right? In the first round, not a whole lot happens, but at least Green's backing him up, backing him up, backing him up. Second round, Hughes starts to let his hands go. He starts to march forward. That's when you get a real idea here. Green does not fight good off his back foot. Now, Hughes stings him to the body. Good body shot. Doesn't really go noticed by Hughes, but he hurts Green to the body. In Green's very next fight against Junior Albini, he got dropped by Junior Albini by left hook. In the next fight against Sergei Pavlich, he got dropped twice by Pavlich. So he doesn't have a great chin. He's not a great kickboxer. He's not a great wrestler. He doesn't have great cardio. He doesn't have a whole lot going for him. He's 33 years old. When he was on The Ultimate Fighter, he was smoking and drinking. Remember that? You remember that season? It's just not a great look. Now he's uprooted everything. He left. I think he's at Factory X Muay Thai in Colorado. Left. And now he's at Greg Jackson's. So whether we think that's going to benefit him or not, I don't know. But quite honestly, Jean Vellante is on the cutting block. And if he just goes out there and moves forward and lets his hands go, he throws a lot more. He throw, does a lot more. Him at heavyweight, I don't love the prospect of it. But after he lost his last fight against Michael Omolanchuk, he, he had a, a, a grappling decision draw against Chris Camozzi. He weighs 240 in that. And you look at him, he looks fat and out of shape. But he had a fight three weeks after that against Mike Rodriguez that he ended up pulling out of. It was at 205. So why was this guy trying to cut from 240 down to 205? That's the indicator of, you know what? Guy's probably a pretty big dude. He's probably hurting himself cutting down. And where you say he's chinny, no, dude, they're all split decisions. Split decision lost to Cummins. A split decision win over Francis Marbroso. A split decision loss with Sam Alvey. A split decision win over Ed Herman. Like, he's getting hit. He's taking it. They're shitty fights. But yeah. a plus 185, if you're going to give me two heavyweights, one guy's actually heavyweight, one guy's not, in a slop fest that's going to go a few rounds, it, it could end Maurice up being... Green has looked a lot... You keep thinking of him smoking darts on the on the contenders, or on the uh, Physically, the he's fight. looked in better shape. He's looked in a lot better shape. The, he seems fights, like he's... But that being said, we're in the era been. that we're in right now. Maybe he goes back to his old ways, right? Because he was definitely know. he was definitely going on the right track. He was getting in better shape. You were able to see abs. You you were able to see definition coming in on him. Uh, his last couple fights, and he's looked good. Now we got COVID. This well, is a guy who was already has kind of good? lazy, like smoking darts. I know like, I've been smoking lots of darts. Like he could be back on the darts. Yeah, is it, it's it, tough to say, really. Yeah, it's tough to say because you know, oh, I mean, you looking, don't have to make a bet on it right now. No, We're both I don't know. passing. I, I would on this say, fight. I would say the move is the pass. You yeah. don't want two twenty five on Green, even if you are picking him to win, and I could see him winning. You don't want two twenty five on him, and the one eighty five, yeah, it's a total. You're chasing a dog, maybe a punt. The pass is the smart play. Sean Woodson takes on Julian Juicy J Rosa Woodson minus four hundred. Arosa plus three hundred. Arosa is coming in. On short notice for Kyle Nelson, who had to pull out uh, a couple days ago. Uh, how do you see this one shaking out? Yeah, they're actually basically mirror images of each other. So I've got some awful... I, I, I made the foolish decision of I thought I was beating the line, and I put Woodson... I got a bunch of bets on Woodson against Kyle. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. But because they're parlays, I 
Now I'm riding it. I don't know. There's a total less value in the parlay. Total pain in the end. Well, I'd rather them just give my money back and I'd rebuild my shit, right? Yep. But instead, it's like a fuck. It's I max bet it a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. Listen, and, right? And Kyle Nelson actually posted some threats to him. He's freakishly strong. And if he did hold him up against the cage or kind of use that, you know, when you're that tall at 145 pounds, guys could outmuscle you. Maybe Nelson was going to do that here against Julian Arosa. It's like, dude, honestly, these guys are like kind of mirror images of each other. Like they fight very similar. Arosa's six foot one on 145 pounds. He uses that lanky. He tries to you know cut different angles. He's very flashy. Uh, not super a lot of power, not the, but not, some flashy striking. Not very striking. durable either. Well, that's his problem. Yeah. Woodson, meanwhile, Woodson's six two and a half at 145 pounds. Tallest guy in the division. Fucking massive. Huge reach on him. Super flashy, right? It's the fundamentals go towards Woodson, and the durability goes towards Woodson. Uh, Woodson, not a guy that's been knocked out, let alone knocked out five times, which is what Julian Rosa's been knocked out. Not only has Rosa been knocked out five times, he's been knocked out three times in the very first round. Woodson just seems super durable, and what I mean by, like, fundamentally sound is, like, as much as there's, like, he's winding up these hooks, and he's it looks like he's slapping, and a lot of it comes, like, he, he was 46 and 3 as an amateur boxer. Like, he's very adequate with his boxing skills. As far as his wrestling goes, that's going to be his problem because he's so tall. But don't look at me in the eye and tell me he's not defending takedowns and doing a damn fine job of it. You can tell that he's really working it. And being that tall, he's going to have a lot of advantages. Coming on against Terrence McKinley on, on the Contender Series, he had no resume built up. Literally, the majority of his amateur career, he went one and one as an amateur, didn't really do anything, and was like six, six and oh or something as a pro. There's not a whole lot to look at there, right? And the fight with Terrence McKinley, though, it's like, oh, bam, guy can't wrestle, guy can't wrestle. Looks like he's trying really hard. Looks like he's doing a good job, but he's getting taken down. McKinley's just having his way with, oh, McKinley took his back in, oh, McKinley took his back in, and then he knocks him out with that knee to the head. Maybe it's a flash in the pan. But the Kyle Bokniak gives you the fight gives you a really better indicator where this guy's at. 28 years old, improving. Trains uh, trains with James Krause and uh, Grant Dawson, right? So he's out of Kansas. Glory MMA and Glory, fitness. Glory MMA and fitness, right? Good camp. And it's one of those small camps where they've got these young kids and they just these kids thrive. James Krause is one of the craftier fights, fighters in recent memory, right? The guy's got craftiness. Geez, Grant Dawson is one of these young kids, durable, good grappling. I mean, they built Tim Elliott too. Yeah, yeah, and when he fucking went off the rails is when he left, right? Mm-hmm. And even guys like Zach Cummings. And what yeah. world does Zach Cummings win fights They're all, c- yeah. consistently in the UFC? They all the kind of are able to hang around because they have all the fundamentals together. Yeah, and I, and I think that's where this kid's more than just some flash. Like, I really do feel like fundamentally he's super sound. And the thing mm-hmm. with the Rosa is that Rosa doesn't throw near the same volume. And this kid goes against Bokniak, lands well over 100 significant strikes. And, and, and not only does he land more than 100 significant strikes, the last round, of, uh, round three, last round alone is like 43 significant strikes. Like he's almost like he's heating up. He's getting better. He's not fatiguing. Whereas like Arosa throws half of that, doesn't have the same stinging power, doesn't have the wrestling to take Woodson down. Honestly, like I said, both guys mirror each other. And even though Arosa so, has the perception that he's so chinny, I could see this getting some later rounds. I could see it even going to decision. Mm-hmm. But what I do definitely think happens, I think Woodson gets his hand raised. I thought he was going to win against Kyle. I think... The same thing goes here. He wins. But now at minus 400, it's not nearly as appealing as it was. And again, it is what it is. I'm sure it's going to go higher than this at some point, too. Arosa, who's at a He'll probably end up on the uh, the Cody Saftik special, like not on the three or the five parlay, but somewhere in the seven, the, the six or seven range. Who, Woodson? In, yeah. No, Woodson's going to be on it. I, I think. Oh, he's Woods- going to be in the early lock. Yeah, I think Woodson. The I early- think Woodson, and we're going to talk about. Okay. The next fight, Luis Pena. All right, get, think, in, get into Luis, are, Luis Pena, minus 260, comma worthy, plus 220. 
Yeah, what I like about Luis Pena is we've been seeing a lot of uh, prospects exposed, so to speak, right? And you see them lose, and you're like, oh, man, this guy, this is what was wrong with him. That was what was wrong. Oh, he couldn't strike. Turns out he couldn't strike. Oh, turns out he couldn't grab. Oh, turns out he didn't have a heart. But it's like you're all, you you can tape study as much as you want, but you're going to learn in real time what this guy's got. The tougher the opponent, you know, the, the more higher stress situation, the more this guy's going to go out there and shine. Luis Pena, he's been one of these prospects that hasn't necessarily been looking good all the time. It's like that's what's going to build a real prospect here is losing fights and losing good fights and losing close fights. And that's exactly what I like about him is that he's still young and that he's only 26 years old. He spent all that time at American Kickboxing Academy. And then by his own accord, very expensive to live in California. So nothing against AKA goes to ATT. Eh, Good trade as far as I'm concerned, right? If you were going to trade AKA for any other gym, I suppose ATT is a good call. You see the pictures of him. Again, he's full in camp with Justin Poirier. Monsvidal's there. These guys are fucking looking good. I feel like he's going to have that benefit. He's at a great camp, and he's going to have a good strategy. That's one thing he's kind of lacked for as much as he has because, again, he's one of these tall guy fighters for the weight class. Fights at 155, 6'2". He's going to be able to use that. Doesn't always have the best game plans. But he's not fighting joke opponents. Matt Frivola, again, that split decision taught him a lot. The Trezano fight taught him a lot. He's going to keep learning. When I look at Kama Worthy... Kama uh, Worthy is very much... He had that big win over Devontae Smith. Yeah, flash in the pan. That, how long ago was that fight? I think it was in, like, September of last Feels year. like forever Something. ago. Could like be. It, what was this guy been up to To make it... Wow. Comes in... Pandemic. My, what, Pandemic. Plus 500 underdog. Yeah, Nobody August. knows his name. Plus 650. Plus 650. Yeah, dude. And knocks him out in the first round. I mean, that line on Devontae Smith was completely out of hand, of course, but... We called Clay Collard to win that one. The fight never happens. They caught Clay Collard without giving him a chance. And you what watching that fuck? motherfucker boxing right now? Have you been watching any of Imagine, that? Imagine, I can't understand. Clay Collard's like How a is contender? Clay Collard not in the UFC? Makes but no like, sense. come on, look at this card. Uh, right makes now. no sense. Makes no How sense. is Clay Collard not here? He's They're entertaining. The people him. love him. Maybe, maybe he just demands too much money and they want to pay people 12K. I guess that's probably it. Uh, Get Cassius Clay Collar back in here. We, Cassius Clay Collar beats a bunch of the scrubs at the bottom of these divisions, and he's entertaining. He's the most entertaining. Bring him back. No, no, not anymore. <laughs> Clearly, you haven't been following his boxing career. <laughs> this guy is lights out, man. He's going to be making a lot more money boxing. Oh, yeah? Than, oh, like, good, then good for Clay. I'm his happy last, for His Clay. last three fights, he's defeated three undefeated prospects. No shit. Yeah, good fucking prospects, Nice. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, guys, good for Clay. Guy, Lomachenko's training partner. This kid was, like, the next Israeli prospect. 19, undefeated fucking... Beat the shit out of him, put okay, him in the hospital, then, like brain swelling. And like, don't even, yeah, like, don't even Clay bother Collard coming back, day. Clay. Go, go make that break. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so here's the problem in a nutshell with Kama Worthy. Kama Worthy's got some skills. He could pose Luis Pena some threat. What's absolutely, but he's very fragile. Like he'll try to put it on you, but in an instance as well, you could knock him out. Pena's not known for his punching power, but certainly he's got enough to hurt Worthy. And when he does hurt Worthy, and this fight ends up getting to the ground. Worthy's been known to give up his back a lot as well. His takedown defense is not great. He's got good cardio. He's got good punching power. And he's got a willingness to be to fight. He's very scrappy, but he's got durability issues. I mean, this is a guy that they call the Death Star, right? And, and the Death Star, when you think about it, the Death Star is this, this menacing, massive weapon of destruction. You don't want to fuck with the Death Star. But then really, all it takes is a couple proton torpedoes right to the thermal exhaust port, and the fucking thing crumples. And he is very much comma-worthy. All of his losses, right? Mostly to UFC veterans. Paul Felder knocks him out in the first round. My boy Billy Cantillo, 10 seconds into the second. Matt Bissett, UFC veteran. Second round knockout. Anthony Rekic. Anthony Rekic is currently 6-8. and eight. He knocked him out in a minute and six seconds. Kyle Nelson was supposed to be on this card. Knocked him out in a minute and three seconds. 
These are not just you're getting knocked out. Is that they're vicious knockouts. When you watch them, he's stiff in the knockout, mm-hmm. and they're happening a minute into the round. So you only bet this guy when he's plus 650. You only bet this guy, again, he's a pawn at 220. You never bet this guy when he would be an even money guy or a favorite because he's going to have massive, massive trust issues. But because his way is bang or bust, I don't see that bang happening on Pena. Pena's durable. Pena's taken a great punch. Favola nailed him with some clean punches. He fights all the way yep. to the end. Some people thought he won the Favola fight. It's a close fight, but it's a fight where he's going to improve and get better at. And then in the Steve Garcia fight, he kind of looked lost out there. But the fact that he was just taking the back so effortlessly whenever he wanted to, I think that's what, how this one's going to play out as well. So I think Pena's safe. I think you're playing cash game. You go Pena. If you go GPP, you're really hoping that Karma Worthy just crumbles apart. But I, I think that Pena at some point hurts this guy or just gets him into the second and third round, pours it on him, looks for a submission, and... Uh, and gets it done. But I, I have to go with Luis Payton. Miranda, Mara- uh, Miranda Maverick. Uh, beer's kicking in. Uh, takes on Mara Romero. Romero Barella. That one's always hard to say. Regardless of how many beers you've had. I've only had one. Um, Maverick. Minus 300. Barella. Coming off of a first round. Armbar from guard. Defeat at the hands of Courtney Casey. Is plus 250. Uh, what can you tell me about Miranda Marav- Maverick? Yeah, well, I absolutely was thinking of a way to potentially fade her coming in because I was like, oh, you know what? Maverick withdrew. I'm just seeing her right now. So that fights off. Did she? Off. Yeah. No? Yeah. Skip it. On to the next. <laughs> On to the next. I didn't know that. When did that happen? Well, literally, I just went to go bring it up, and I was like, nope, she's not on this card anymore, and I see Maverick withdrew. If you want to know what would happen. Yeah, they were in the, dr- yeah, the DraftKings system and everything. I told myself, I ain't betting on these 22-year-old UFC debuting fighters against savvy veterans anymore, but Barella wouldn't have gone beyond one round and Maverick you know just what, doesn't Cody? stop she's not very tactical but she just doesn't stop I didn't really want to talk about that fight anyway well, we're going we got on. Felipe I, I have a question yeah what's that do you think that she ends up getting an opponent yes so Barella would get an opponent well, oh, you know what? I have if no, it was, I have no idea what's other, happening. If it was the other way around, I would guarantee you she gets an opponent. But yeah, if it's Barella, eh, it might not. But if like if Barella faces some scrub, let's say, because I she's, mean, she Barella is a scrub. yeah. But if she faces some scrub and she's seventy one hundred, her price isn't changing. Like, do I then use her? I mean, yeah, no. Well, I mean, it'll become. I would say, I would say still no. Well, Probably. I mean, Cody, you're just giving out favorites. I need a dog here, pal. Right, right, right. I hear you. This the only thing is, if you look at Barella, she's on a three fight losing streak. I mean, it all depends on opponent. It depends on the odds that come in, of course. Like if it's right, right. If she fights, if she fights, doesn't matter. I don't know a twelve year old. Like <laughs> she'll be a minus six hundred favorite at seventy one hundred. You're gonna play her. Okay, her last her last win, not her last fight, her last win. Okay. Which happened against Taylor Santos, who I Hell bet you. Yeah. Do you even know who that is? Yeah, you I watched the fight. Time. Right, right. It, what? She a good fighter? I mean, she's because you want a split decision in that fight. Better so than like Mar- Romero Barella. What the fuck? It's a split over like a nobody. And then she fought some people. Like Lauren Murphy knocked her out, finished her. Yeah. Okay, okay, finished her. Montella de Rosa. Seventy one hundred though. Here's here's what Pat's asking. We're not even talking about DraftKings. Yeah, what Pat's asking from a DraftKings opponent. If she fights somebody who just happens to be in Vegas, just happens to... If Gina Mazzani goes, you know what? I really think I got unlucky against Julia Avila a couple weeks ago. Let's do it. 135, I'm ready. Um, Then maybe. Then maybe. No, well, okay, <laughs> then maybe we right, play right, her at seven. Right, no, I don't know. Right, I don't even know if I would right. bet her against Gina Mazzani, but at seventy one hundred, I'd probably you know play what? her. You know, because she has a good chance of getting a win. Dude, you're absolutely right. And, and you know what? 
Frank Camacho. We, we think he's going to lose to Matt yeah, Favola. Fair. Right? Oh, but hey, he's only $8,000. He's hanging on a local guy from Extreme Couture, Justin James. Shouldn't be in the UFC. Fighting up a weight class. Recipe for disaster. Gotta have Frank Camacho in every single line because he's only $8,000. And he gets knocked down in 40 seconds. So, like, yeah, no. I Barella, this is, this if you said pound women's, him. though. Let's not compare. Not, Mara, Mara, she got subbed with an armbar from guard, Paul. Yeah, that's fair. Even Good if point. they just gave her someone who just knew jiu-jitsu. What the hell might happen? <laughs> so, she, she's so, supposed to know jiu-jitsu. She's though. a black belt, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like, that's oh, what God. I don't understand. They're throwing those out like for candy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. like European Muay Thai champion. Felipe Lenz takes on. Uh, Tanner Bozer, Felipe Lenz minus 105. Bozer minus 115. Slight movement towards Bozer in this fight from open. Um, I guess everyone watched Lenz lose a decision to Andre Arlovsky. That's, that's what the crafty old vet Arlovsky does. Do you, do you agree with this line movement, Cody? Or do you think this is just bad money moving it? You know what? I would 100% agree with the line movement. If it was the bigger cage. And I honestly do think that that's going to be a huge factor okay. for me here. Bozer doesn't really let his hands go, nor does he have a ton of power in his hands to begin with. But the one thing he does, guys, as far as a heavyweight goes, he's super mobile and he's got a great leg kick game. And he can win decisions over middling heavyweights by simply kicking them in the leg and running away. Very fair. Felipe Linz, meanwhile, not a very great heavyweight. He literally just got outpointed by Andre Arlovsky on the basis of he didn't let his hands go. He didn't do anything. So, yeah, I completely see a world in where Felipe Lins, heavier hands, doesn't really let them go, throws a couple punches here and there, lands a couple punches here and there, and Bozer's just out kicking him and just doing a little bit more and just staying on the outside and moving away. And a lot of the Andre Arlovsky fight where he just didn't really do anything and he allowed Andre Arlovsky to outpace him, he could do that with Bozer. The problem with that I have with the small cage is now if Bozer is forced to now engage this guy a little bit, Linz has heavy hands, and Linz likes to throw combinations, and they're like heavy thudding punches, like in the Arlovsky fight. He wasn't doing a ton, but when he would let his hands go a little bit, you just got a sense of like, oh, man, that might have hurt him. And being that it's an int intimate atmosphere and sitting cage side, I don't know that you're going to process as much leg kick run, leg kick run, leg kick run, as you will on this guy that might land three heavy punches and then that kind of be it it is a close fight i would say if you're taking bozer packetels here uh, you gotta take him by decision almost a hundred percent if you're taking bozer mm -hmm. to win this fight you don't wins. take him out he only wins decisions he only wins decisions and felipe Linz is a durable guy right mm -hmm. like the finish in the past not so much the case another one of these guys at att one would have to imagine he's in good shape Sorry, he might have left ATT because him and Arlovsky were both at... No, no, no. They were both at ATT, training partners. Never let his hands go against Arlovsky. But he's still at ATT, yeah. Anyways, I would say Felipe Lin. Pat wants a dog. He's not even a real dog here. But uh, he's minus 105. So he's technically a I dog. I mean, not yeah, on not many dogs left on Not on DraftKings, he's not. Uh, Lin's to win by decision. Uh, you decision. Say, no, you're saying Bozer by decision oh. if he was ever going Bozer to by decision is plus 160. Yeah, that's Ooh, not wow. Worth, it's not worth wow. it. Wow. Okay, but if you are taking Minus Bozer, 115 straight. Did you say 115 minus or 160? One, plus 160. Plus 160. I don't play those props, man. You got to give me a lot of... You got to give me a lot of extra plus value for... Plus 160 over minus 115. Shit Listen, happens. Okay, that's fine. You called me greedy for chasing the points on Lauren Murphy. But you knew Lauren Murphy wouldn't finish in Roxy. You just... Yeah, I thought. I thought. I honestly, Tanner I Bozer, still. I still. He's gonna win. I still <laughs> think chasing those extra points that you did there, 
it was not a good idea. You might as well have just taken it straight up because shit happens in this sport all the time. Yeah, I complete- just because it worked in that situation doesn't mean it works in every single situation. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. And at the end of the night when I was chasing and I had I'm like not doing so well in the car at this point, lost those nice parlays. Geez, our guys like Camacho, our girls like you know Van Buren, the, not going well. It was chasing the yeah, Bilal Muhammad, really Bilal Muhammad by decision as nice plus money. Curtis Blades as nice plus money. You put these on some parlays together with a few other guys. Bobby Green on it. Again, by decision. Yeah, that was a good call. Right. Uh, now, all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, fuck. I got to parlay with all these big plus money hits, right? If I if I was looking at this fight, it's it's even money. It's even money. Why would I want to invent these? It's 50-50. could go either way. I, I want my plus 160 because now it's not even money. My, if my guy wins, he's yeah. a standard. But you, you're picking lens, so Bozer by and, decision right, isn't right. even and worth real, betting. And real quick, Pat, hit me with the lens by decision. Um, lens by decision. It's going to be a big price. Plus 225. That's better. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm talking about. This fight's going the distance. That's what I'm talking about. What fight just go the distance? It's going to be plus money. That's that's the pick on this one. You got to give me like double my money from what you will give me from just the straight money line. Bozer, yeah, he's very, very durable. He went went three rounds with uh, Cyril Gane. He went three. He went hard with Cyril Gungy, but also when you look at when you look at uh, Lins, it's like yeah, Jared Rochal has absolutely no chin. Kyle Allencar has no chin. Alex Nicholson's not a heavyweight and has no chin. Josh Copeland, he took him out in the fourth, so that that went to matter. Would have gone the distance. Yeah, I, I see this one. I see this one as not heavyweight fight. Something's going down quick. I see it like yo, the guys probably are going to start to gas within two. Bozer's got a decent gas tank for a heavyweight, which is why he probably pulls it out late. You know, same thing with that Marcel Berrio fight, Marc Andre Berrio fight from last week against Oscar Pato. It's like he looked good. That, that fight just that went was to the shit. best Berrio's ever looked by it, a long shot, for sure. While also opponent, like he had fought some decent guys up until that point. Sure. But, but yeah, it's just like once the fight went to shit, it's like this guy's got more in the tank, and he's got to he's just gonna keep going. You know. Anyways, we spent way too much time on this, but uh, it's going fifteen, so we spent about fifteen on it. No, I don't think we spent that long. <laughs> Probably to be perfectly not, honest. Too we, long. we have Takashi Sato taking on Ramiz Brahimaj. Who do you think wins this one, Brahimaj? Yeah, okay, so this is just another dogger pass situation. Like, it, it, again, it's a close fight, but I think you don't bet Sato at, as a favorite. A lot of people are saying that they like him. They're saying that he's, you know, this Japanese bruiser. He hits very hard. I'm not so seeing it. He just seems kind of stiff and rigid in there. And he's not stiff and rigid and durable like a, a Hungyu Lim. No, not like that. He's more just like stiff and rigid and is there to get toppled over. His submission game, not really there. Been submitted a few times. Even like the Blah Muhammad fight. Blomhoff not known for his finishing, but it's just like you put it on this guy Sato. He's very limited in his skill set. He grinds him down. He eventually gets the submission. The problem with you or with uh, with Ramiz Brahimaj is that there's very little to base this guy off. Like fortunately enough, I have his LFA fights at work, but mm-hmm. he's fought like three times in the last two and a half years. And in those fights, he's got a lot of quick submissions. Right, his last fight again, same thing, fifty seconds into the first round. Before that, he loses to Justin Patterson mm-hmm. by decision. Not a good look. Very fun fight entertaining fight but this guy's just not there on top of that he's not particularly big 170 pound fighter he's at a fortis mma geez are, are we on fortis mma right now like they've been having some bad luck there's just a ton of variables however i think that sato's got a bad strike or he's got bad submission defense and brahamaj that's that's his go-to i mean he loves to grapple and his striking's adequate enough that i think that he can stand with sato he could even hurt sato but he needs to just get the fight to the ground. When he gets the fight to the ground, go for this mission. Again, like Pat's saying, I got a ho- whole lot of favorites here. $7,800 on DraftKings, plus 100 on the money line. I mean, the, the I card's pretty chalky, man. Like, no, the top I, of the card is just, 
Nobody wanted, and I'm feeling the same thing too. It's just like you look at like the deep undercard, and you're just like, I don't know if I want to take any shots. So everyone's moved to the top of the bill and just slammed these favorites. Um, yeah, tough season, but this could be a spot. Again, this yeah, could, could be. be. Could no, be. I mean this spot coming up yeah, right here. We got Jordan Griffin taking on Yusuf Zalal. Your boy, Jordan Griffin, minus one twenty, wasn't able to fight uh, last time against Derek Minner. Um, Fight cancellation. I was out in the woods. So ah. I don't exactly knew. I didn't really know exactly. Who knows what how much money? What happened to cost. Minner in that situation? It was Minner who obviously pulled out. Like I never really followed up with. Yeah, him. I, I just saw it that must my. Have been a I saw that my issue. bet was canceled. I know. I know. And then that I had to uh, make sure that I didn't have Jordan Griffin in a DraftKings lineup. Right. We liked Jordan Griffin. We liked him inside the distance. Mm-hmm. We liked him on DK. Uh, yeah, hurts, hurts. But yeah, no. At least on the plus side, Jordan Griffin has got a full camp. He's a guy that's been training pretty hard. Should be relatively in good shape. Yeah, again, this is going to be a close fight. I, I'm going to lean with Jordan Griffin, even though I, I could easily just say the same thing. Hey, might as well take a dog. Yusuf Zalal, plus 100. But he's, he's not it's really a, a dog. Pick yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pick em fight. So I'd probably take Griffin, and I'd probably take Griffin by decision, again, to try to get some additional points out of that. Do we but, really? Yeah. Sure. The guys, they kind of have like similar skill sets. Only Zalal seems to be a little bit more of a refined wrestler. It's like, what are we basing that off of? That he looked good against Austin Lingo in his debut. And you know what? I didn't see it coming. I don't think a lot of people saw it coming. But up until then, the Moroccan Devil had seemed to just be a, you know, an adequate striker. Turns out a factory X Muay Thai, decent enough. Twenty three years old. He's still green. He's still unpolished. Coming off a flying knee knockout in LFA, like there's some flash there. But Austin Lingo just looks like a more refined product. And then he goes out there and absolutely terrorizes him pillar to post. Jeez, good performance out of him. Now against Jordan Griffin, what I'm going to base on is why I'm taking Griffin is I'm going back to experience. And we've been seeing a lot of these fights recently. It's the same thing. It's experience wins it out. Zalal could take down Jordan Griffin. That's my worry here is that he showed against Austin Lingo his wrestling's not that bad. Against uh, in Jordan Griffin, we got somebody who gets taken down in almost in every fight. However, he's fighting just a better level of competition all around. And being that he's 30 years old and is a 25-fight veteran and has multiple appearances in the UFC versus a guy in Zalal who has 10 pro fights, he's 8-2, and two. he you know, ha- had a spoiler in his UFC debut, but he's one fight into his career, he's 23 years old. Ah, I, I just, I got to ever, so it's a close matchup, they got it matched up closely, I got to go with experience. And I think that he will get some takedowns over Griffin, but Griffin will make him work, get back up, and when it is striking, Griffin will be... Ever so slightly the better striker. And then eventually it'll be a decision and it'll be a Griffin decision in a close one. But I would have to say... Hey, wh- that what, would do you, the what do you think that pays, the, uh, the Griffin decision? Plus 185. Uh, plus 275. Yeah, because, I mean, Griffin's a finisher, but this is a lull kid's not going to go away. So, mm-hmm. you know what? Last week I sat here and told you I thought a lot of fights were going to go to decision because it just looked like a decision card. And we talked about it. All these fights that go to decision, a lot of plus money sitting on these decision props. Smaller kids. Except for Jim Miller. Of- <laughs> but that's the way he fights, right? So again, you got to look at styles. Griffin's Griffin puts it on guys, but it, it, someone who's twenty three, he's not just going to break apart. He's not like your boy Max. At least he's done the dance a few times. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> right? that was me washing away. If you missed the beginning of the show, I don't know. Imagine how you could have. That was me washing away. What did they tune in after all the first commercial break? Yeah, all responsibility <laughs> is off. He is not my boy. Do not call him my boy. That was like me washing the taste. Of Max, out of my, uh, my mouth. that sounds really, that sounds really off. Uh, Cody, <laughs> Cody, how about this? Griffin decision, Lynn's decision, eleven to one. Yeah, yeah, and that's only a two fighter, you know. Like we every week, we're trying to give you these four, five, six fight parlays, and if you're if you're gonna put Mar- oh, Mavericks off the card, if you put Pena, Woodson, 
Maurice Green, Brandon Allen, and Mike Perry on a ticket doesn't pay that well, man. No. You hit a couple it's of these plus money props. This is a tough easily. Honestly, better. this and is one a, of them will shit in your pocket. Honestly, I, one look, of them will shit in your I look at this board this week and I go, I've been doing pretty well recently. I'm not going to get overextended this week because the fights that I do like and the fighters that I do like, they're they're honestly they're already sufficiently juiced in most of these spots. So, uh, yeah, the only parlay I've got a Perry Poirier parlay, which is like the most Johnny Public thing of all times. But it probably pays even money, and that's good enough. You know, it's close. I think, but um, I don't know what you got it at. I see money's coming in on Perry now, though. Either way. And finally, we have one more fight, right? Unless am I? Yeah, we got Jin Yu Frey versus K. Hansen. Good, good. I was so there's only ten fights on this card. It's ten fighters. That's now. gonna make it even harder for DraftKings this week, unless they um, replace Barella's opponent. Yeah, unless they yeah, if they replace that, K. Hansen minus one seventy, Jin Yu Frey, um, veteran, former Adam Way champion in uh, in Invicta, right? Veteran taker. Yeah, yeah, she's been around a long time. Plus one fifty. Now tell me about K. Hansen and. Does, is she going to run through Jin Yu Okay, Frey's so, fought some good fighters. Right, this is, right. a, this is like the one dog that on the card that I kind of looked at and was just like, I don't know enough about Hanson yet to like make a stand, but um, what's your take here? No, I couldn't agree more, right? We had literally just finished breaking down. I was like, yeah, some of these veteran fighters who they've competed for a long time and they know how to get ready for the fight, they're going to have a big advantage. Kay Hanson is 20 years old. Not only is she 20 years old, she's 6-3 and three as a professional. Mm-hmm. Like That's not a spectacular record. It's not someone that has a whole lot of experience, and it, she's 20 years old. And here's the crazy thing about her, right? She turns pro. Basically, more or less, her most of her career has been with Invecta. She's, she's a pro boxer as well. One in four as a pro boxer. Fought twice last year. Lost both of them. So I just don't know, like, how is someone who's a touted prospect also just jobbing out on the side on the weekends in pro boxing she's a 10th she's a 10th planet jiu-jitsu like that's her foundation style grappling looks like her wrestling's okay not great okay but she just goes man and i think that's that's the benefit when you're 20 years old i think you just keep going Mm -hmm. so looks like she's got decent size for the weight class and those are the two things that'll help her here against jinyu Frey. that she's got that youth and that athleticism but that size like the one thing with jinyu Frey is that she's a 105er Adam Wade. Yeah, Always sure. been an Adam Wade. Her last fight, it's like, she missed weight, dog. That's an indication. She's got to go up. It's like, yeah, she weighed 105.8. But it was a championship fight. <laughs> so she missed weight. But like, nah, man, she's a 105er. She's also 35 years old. So it's just a very... Hey. I'm not saying anything It's 35 years old. <laughs> I'm saying is that she's jumping up a weight class. She's jumping up a weight class for the first time, taking a fight on relatives to short notice, where she has struggled in the passes against girls that take her down and have strong top position. Her notable losses from that exact position against uh, Hamasaki up in Ryzen. Ayata Hamasaki is like former world champion, girl's been around the block, is very accredited. Leaps and bounds ahead, ahead than, than Kay Hansen. And I see people being like, oh, geez, you know, Hansen might do the same thing. I don't know. The difference, though, is that like Hamasaki's a small atom weight. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Hansen's ass alone is carrying 105 pounds. Like she's got a fucking tush on her. Bro. <laughs> that caboose generates some power. I would say she's my bebe, but she's only 20, so that's fucking creepy. Well, uh, give her a few not more illegal, years. Though, at least. Not illegal, especially in the state of Florida, they're in Vegas, especially I in the mean, state of Nevada. <laughs> Yeah, what I'm saying is I, I, I like Kay Hansen, but it's a fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, also shame on you. Like, this happened to me with Brianna Van Buren. 
first fight in the UFC. Looks like she's got all the skills. Against a savvy veteran, it's hard to show. We talked about the Hooper fight. Jeez, it's hard to show. There's been a lot of prospects recently. Jeez, looks really good on paper. They're probably not getting I won't even the same bring up Max. They're probably not getting the same quality time with their trainers and stuff that they used to. Yeah, and it's also just like now you're making that walk, and it's like, oh, dude, uh, what if, what if, what if the person takes my back, and what if the person, what, geez, what if I break my nose? And like, these people, it's like, I got my back taken a bunch of times. I've had my nose broken a bunch of times. Like you've been in situations, so you come out of those. Yeah, so situations. Uh, Ian Heinish, it's like I've been, I've had my back taken a whole bunch of times. <laughs> Attempted to take my back. <laughs> I so, still got out of Rikers. Right, and then the last thing here is that Kay Hansen can't strike for shit. Right, so she needs to get the fight to the ground. Not can get the fight to the ground, needs to get the fight to the ground. If she doesn't, for whatever, Jin Frey's got a massive striking advantage. But Jin Frey, reason she hit my radar is, do you remember? Ah, you probably won't. Douglas Frey was a t- Texas black belt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, regional scene guy, but was like Texas black belt. Fucking No, I'm familiar time. with Jin Frey. Like, I've followed her right, career and right. stuff. Uh, so she's, it's not like she's one of these strikers that, you know, uh, she doesn't know how to grapple. Like, she, she just, she deals with size, brute aggression, and it looks like that's exactly what Hansen brings to the table. But that shouldn't be enough for me to bet it at 170. So 10 fight card now. I probably will end up betting it because I'm a degenerate and there's only 10 fights now. But no, no, again, the smart call, be smart, pass on the Maurice Green fight, pass on this fight too. All right, let's get into the DraftKings breakdown. We'll start from the top. Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker, 87-75. You need the winner. Uh, Dustin Poirier is the guy that we're picking. I'll have Dustin Poirier in my lineups. Yeah, I know you guys should do so. We'll rifle it through it, but yeah, I think you need everyone's gonna guys. have Poirier. By the way, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. I, I think you fade him. Well, then you take the seventy five hundred dollars. Does on he? Hooker. Yeah, but does he? Does he finish? Who Poirier? Yes, yeah. five round fight, man. I get that, but like, is if Perry could like win in the first round, you just take him instead and hope he knocks him out in the first round. And it's three hundred dollars more to get up there. You have. Uh, you currently have your DraftKings open there, Pat. Okay. Mike okay. Okay. Just, averages just, like just, fifty-five. Right. Points right. Per just, fight. but just, but just tell me quick, Dustin. How much did Dustin Poirier score against Max Holloway two fights ago? Because it went. There was no finish. It was five-round striking battle, which is what I expect to see here. How much did he score in that with no finish? Against Max Holloway, he scored. Where are you at? DraftKings points. Uh, One hundred and twenty-four. Yeah, without a finish. Yeah. So I'm thinking most definitely a path. And Hooker, I don't know that Hooker withstands the same amount of punishment that Holloway did. Because with the Barbosa fight, it's like he showed you some inhuman shit, but mm-hmm. he also eventually did top below. He took the amount of damage that you're kind of like, that was a life-changing beating he took. I don't think he can go to war with Dustin Poirier like that. And we've seen Dustin Poirier get into that type of dogfight, and he comes out on the other side against Justin Gaethje. Okay, so thank you for bringing right? that up. Right? Yeah, yeah 170. Dustin Poirier, Pat, lock him in. I don't care. Hopefully, other people think like you and take the other guy. Yeah. Get yeah. him in your lineups. We talked about taking the other guy. I just want to, like, if we're going to. Let's go with Poirier. Let's get let's get through this, though. I got I do actually have some oh. other things I got to okay, do today. Okay, I will rifle through, but yeah, I just I do have to make that last point on Hooker. Hooker's last fight against Paul Felder. How does he come back from the Barbosa beating? Wow, he beat Paul Felder. The Paul Felder fight. He outpoints Felder fairly significantly over the first three rounds. The last round. 15 strikes landed, 25 for Felder, right? Last round, again, his numbers fall off from 39, 24, 26, 39, 15, 18. He was dead dog tired in that five-rounder. He was lucky to squeak a split by Felder. I thought he won, but it was a close fight. When that doesn't happen, he's going to be in trouble. Okay, moving on, though. Yeah, Mike Perry, $9,000. Again, he's going to be one of those chalk guys 
But I think Mickey Gall is going to just fight the game plan of not engage this wild dog. We'll slow it down. I'm personally not going to take Mike Perry on DraftKings. Brandon Allen versus Kyle Dokus, I think you go with Brandon Allen for sure. He's got points, path to victory as far as points goes with his takedowns, his grappling, his, uh, his, uh, his striking. He's got good cardio, as I mentioned. He's gone five rounds four times in his career. I think that Brandon Allen's a good pick there, $9,200 if you're not going to take a guy like Perry. Maurice Green versus John Vellante, that's a flat pass. If you're playing multiple lineups and you got a type of punt, maybe you would go with a John Vellante, but knocking out Maurice Green, that's going to be a hell of a task, especially when you're not a natural heavyweight. I would pass on that one as well. Sean Woodson, take Sean Woodson. Uh, cash game situation, definitely go with Woodson because maybe he doesn't get that finish on a Rosa. Yeah, he did put it on Kyle Bachniak hard. Yeah, he did knock out McKinney. Three fights prior to that, all decision. He is a guy that just likes to be more of a finesse guy, tricky fighter, more than an, a clean power puncher. But but even then, Arosa's got a, a he's questionable chin. So $8,800, it's good either way. Luis Pena over Common Worthy. Luis Pena, $8,900, decent move. Common Worthy, listen, if, if you are looking for a punt, this guy is the kind of guy that is banger bust. He does go for it. He has he did come through as a massive underdog in his UFC debut at $7,300. He would have theoretical upside. Maverick Barella's off. Felipe Lins versus Bozier. I think it's going to be a slow, you know, not not exactly the most entertaining of affairs, for especially for heavyweights. I, I think you pass on Linz and Bozer. Takashi Sazu versus Brahamaj. This one might be one of those ones that ends up on like an optimal. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know for sure. But with Sato, if he is one of these bruisers, he's got big power. He's only $8,400. He could go out there and do some damage, get those points. Knocked out Ben Saunders. At least has shown some stuff in the past. Brahamaj, meanwhile, he's a submission ace. And Sato, known to get submitted. He will also go for it. He's on record multiple times saying, I just want fight of the night. I just want to please the crowd. If he goes out there and realizes, I'm getting paid $12,000 to fight in the UFC, or I can chase that 50 Gs, baby. It could, it could be a high payoff, and he's only 7800 bucks. So keep your eye on Brahamaj as far as that goes. Zalal could have a lot of takedowns against Griffin, so that would make him a, a high-priced guy. Griffin, meanwhile, will only probably have strikes against Zalal. That would make him less of an inclined option. I like him on the money line. Don't like him on DraftKings. Zalal would be the better place as far as DraftKings go. And then, yeah, I mean, Kay Hansen, 8500 bucks because of the takedowns, because of the grappling, because of the pressure, because of all of that. One would have to imagine $8,500 could be a very nice little price tag. But, but again, we did talk about... Could all be a, I could, want, be a, could be a sticky spot. All I wanted to say to final Dustin Poirier's wins in the UFC versus Holloway, 124 points. Alvarez, 107. Gaethje, 127. Pettis, 105.5. Miller, 103.5. Uh, Green, 128. Duffy, 89. And that was a three-round fight. You play Dustin Poirier. Cody. If yeah. Dustin Poirier wins, he's going to score over 100 points. You play him. Chance, Chance Poirier wins. I don't know. I don't oh, think this way, man. Yeah, I think I think yeah, of who's yeah, going to yeah. win a fight, and I put them in my lineup. I say I I would say seven out of ten times. It's, all I'm saying is that DraftKings wise, that if you just take the other side of it, if 85 percent of the people are using Poirier and he wins, you still need to have the optimal after him. If you go the other way, you box out 85% of the field, and you have your cheap guy. Then you need Allen to come through, Perry to come through, and whoever the other expensive guys are. That's a way to play it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, Go yeah. for it. Yeah, and listen, I mean, you're not getting a bad option, Hooker. I mean, he throws it out of punches himself. He's got knockout wins over guys like Gilbert Burns. Yep. He throws that knee straight up the pipe. And there is that possibility that Pori is not as motivated as he once was. We did kind of speculate on that. Maybe there's a possibility. Plus, we don't you know, do worse we don't know exactly where the rest of the industry is on this fight. There could be a whole bunch of the yeah. tote services out there that but are all go. over Dan Hooker this week. Nah, I don't expect I them to. I expect everyone's going to be on Pori. I got to go with um, Dirty He's going to be chalky as hell. I just, I'm just going to play him. Um, I don't think the way... I try not to, honestly. I don't think that way anymore because that got me in trouble a lot with my betting. And that's where, that's where my bread is right now. So... Um, I don't think about the uh, boxing out 85% because then I start considering 
betting Dan Hooker, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, no. It's, I found, more, I found historically at, that's more, kind of a danger. Yeah. So I'm more of a single-entry DraftKings player. I'm playing single-entry. Dustin Poirier will be on my single-entry lineup. That's how I play. Um, hit, a, hit us with the PRP, and then let's get out of here. Yeah, okay. So PRP's got a lot of favorites again. But we got Dustin Poirier. We got Mike Perry, Brandon Allen. Yeah, Maurice Green. You should definitely pass on that. Sean Woodson, Luis Pena. That's a scrapped on the Maverick Barella. Our first dog will technically be Felipe Linz. Our second dog will technically be Ramiz Brahamaj. Not big dog money here, folks. And then we're going to go with Jordan Griffin and Kay Hansen. Um, I think you look at decision props. I think, you, as we talked about in some of these, some of the ones that we mentioned. And then, yeah, as far as, like, boxing some of these guys for parlays, Someone's going to shit in the pot. You know, I like Pena. I like Woodson. I like Brandon Allen. I like Mike Perry. I like Dustin Poirier. That's going to make up the basis of your two, three, and five fight parlays. But does not one mediocre to big sized dog not fuck up? No, yeah, somebody, right. so somebody's gotta, shitting in the apple So you got to keep it small. And that's why, like me and Man were talking about on the show earlier, you can go a five fight parlay. It's not going to pay a whole lot. Or you can hit a couple decision props where you got Linz by decision. And uh, a Jordan Griffin by decision, something like that. Doesn't look like the easiest card to make money this week. Um, and, and from DraftKings' perspective, like I don't even—it's going to be really hard. I mean, I guess maybe we end up with Jin Yu Frey. I don't know because it's like really hard to make a lineup this week. Well, that's why. That's why Brahamaj, I don't really like very many. Brahmaj Zalal, Tanner Bozer, yeah, Kama Worthy. No, I'm not on him, but I do see it. And Jean Vellante. I mean, the the week is young. There's fighters dropping off like while we're on the show here, so. Also, also, not a hot take. Don't be surprised if Mike Perry somehow ends up fucking with COVID or something, okay? He's a moron. There's a great chance that come fight time, him or his non-existent corner have it. Mm-hmm. 100%. Any final thoughts? That was pretty much about it. All right, and then that wraps it up for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Pat Mayo and Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Jonas saying goodbye and good luck. You have no experience! Experience!